This morning we come to the plagues, and it's a long section of the book. And so I've asked Luke Wall to help me with the reading this morning. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not even take this to heart. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I'm going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let Pharaoh not cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague on your livestock that are in the field the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, 
on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants, so that the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on this earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all of the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones may go with you also. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must also go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day that you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. May the Lord use and bless the reading of his word in our lives today. Now, Let's take a look at our scripture this morning. We're looking at Exodus chapter 7 uh, through 10. We'll kind of be sprinkling all over that passage of scripture. But just to begin with, can you imagine 10 consecutive COVID pandemics? I mean, we don't even want to think about that. We kind of shudder. We're still dealing with, 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 with one, and we're like, are we almost out of this thing? But when we think about the 10 plagues, Really, the closest parallel that we can talk about is we can think about each one of these plagues being a pandemic. Now, I don't like to just pull out a scorecard and says this one on a scale of calamity was a 7.8, and this one on a scale of a calamity was a 3.2, and this was a 9.6. All of these are calamities. And just like our own experience with, with COVID, it has been incredibly disruptive. 
every part of life is disrupted. And when you take a look at all of these plagues that we read through a few minutes ago, every single one of them took life and stopped it. Everything in those plagues stopped the routine, stopped the things that you could count on, stopped the things that you thought was the normal part of life and was gone. They were catastrophic. They were deadly. They were on top of one after another after another. It is an amazing thing. When Scripture talks about it, it talks about the plagues. We're used to calling them the plagues. In fact, in one of the places in this passage, it says that I will plague you with a plague of something. I don't remember which one it is, but the plague, it's a verb, it's a noun. I mean, you're, 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 getting, you're getting plagued in this, in this moment, and we really can kind of resonate with that. But I also want you to know that at the beginning of this passage, beginning with chapter 7, when the Word of God begins to speak to Moses about this, he does not refer to them as plagues. He says, I will show you signs and wonders. Now the thing about it is, is that a sign in particular, a sign and a wonder, particularly a sign, is a miracle, a powerful event that has a meaning and a message. In fact, when the gospel writer John begins to describe Jesus' miracles, he doesn't call them miracles. Most of the time, he says they are signs because they are not just random, powerful moments. They are not just extraordinary events. There is a message behind them. And so one of the things that God is saying in this, these are going to be powerful, amazing miracles, displays of wonder. But they are not just the answer to biblical trivia questions. They are the revealing of the character, the heart, the message of God. And so as we think about these plagues, and this morning uh, we're going to look at plagues 1 through 9, and we'll, we'll do the other half, okay, the, the, the other 10, the other 1, uh, next week. But for this time we're, we're just doing the first 9 uh, this morning. But as we take a look at these, these are not just these random events, but we need to see what is it that God speaks to us in these passages uh, beyond the obvious that, that human bondage is wrong. I mean, that, that, that's the basic piece here, that's the foundational piece here. But what specifically is it that God speaks to us in these passages? Uh, the first thing that I would want you to hear, uh, the first thing that I would want you to hear is that, that we have a persistent God. We have a persistent God. One of the things that I want you to know, one of the things that I want you to hear this morning is that God does not quit. When we call these things the ten plagues, we, we talked about them being the, same, the ten signs, we, we could also uh, call these the, the ten chances. Because as God speaks to Pharaoh and says, here's what I want you to do, I want you to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And what God does is, all right, I'm going to give you another chance. Here's what I want you to do. Let my people go. And Pharaoh refuses. And God says, you know what? I'm going to give you another chance. 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 You see, we have a God that doesn't quit. We could also call these ten fresh starts. Because every time it seemed as though God's plan was blunted, every time it seems like what God wanted to do, what God wanted to accomplish failed and stopped, God says, I've got another plan. I've got another step. I've got another act that I'm going to do. God does not quit. 
In fact, as we take a look at these words, one of the things that I want you to see is that God is not rejected in anything that he wants to do. And what he wants to accomplish in these chapters is three things. He wants to reveal his glory. As you read through these chapters, one of the things that he says is, I am doing these things so that you may know that I am the Lord. You see, Egypt is a land full of hundreds and hundreds of gods. Everything that looks interesting, everything that seems to be kind of unique, everything that would be Egyptian, say, you know what, I bet you that's a god. And so they would worship a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. And God says, listen, I want you to know that while you give God-like qualities to just about everything that you glance at, I am the Lord. And so God is not going to quit until it becomes clear of his glory. In fact, it tells us about half of the way through, uh, about, about sometime around plague number four or five, that the magicians say to Pharaoh, hey, this is a God thing. I don't know what it is that the magicians do. Sometimes they can mimic the work of God. I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's tricks. I, I don't know. I, I really have no idea what's happening there. But there's a little while they're like, you know, Pharaoh, we can keep up for a little bit. Uh, but we're out. Uh, what you're dealing with, it, it is God stuff, and we're just playing. There's the persistence of God. He's not going to stop until he accomplishes his glory. He, he says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up into this position so that you may see that I am the Lord. We also know that God is not going to stop until he's accomplished his purpose. He, he had told Abraham 400 years earlier, your descendants will be numerous and they will go to Egypt one day and they will live there, but 400 years later, I will bring them out. And I will accomplish that. There was a timetable. There was a plan. God was going to fulfill that. But here it is. Pharaoh will not let the people go. So God continues, and God continues, and God continues, and God continues to do the work. Even when it seems impossible, just in the verses at the end of chapter 6 that we looked at last week, Moses again comes to God and says, it's impossible. I can't do this. Who is going to listen to me? Why would anyone listen to what I have to say? God says, just hold up. I'm going to take care of this. I will accomplish my plan. God is also persistent in growing our relationship. He, he is persistent in revealing himself to us. This morning, as you leave church, not right now, in a few minutes, as you leave church, imagine as you pull out onto the parking lot uh, out here and you, you head up J.W. Davis Drive, and just as before you get to the traffic light, you see one of your greatest long-lost friends that you haven't seen in 15 or 20 years. They're, they're not even on Facebook. You have no idea where they've been. You haven't seen them. You love this person. You, you, this person is so important to you. And you're like, I can't believe it. And they wave to you. And you roll down the window and say, hey, can you give me a ride? Well, yeah, I can give you a ride. Where do you want to go? And we get to spend time together. Well, I just need a ride to the mall. Where are we? It's that way? 
that way. I just need a ride to the mall. It's just right there. Now you have a choice as you get to that traffic light. Are you going to take a right-hand turn? Or are you going to take a left-hand turn? Now the truth is the mall is just right there to the right. But if you just go to the right, your time with this person is going to be about 90 seconds. Unless it's Friday afternoon, then it's a lot longer. But, but, but in general, it's about 90 seconds. You just take a turn. It's right there. It's a shortcut. It's right there. But if you really want to spend time with this person that you love and that you care for and you haven't seen him forever, well, you, you want to show him where Don's seafood is. Maybe head out toward Baptist. Maybe, maybe show him the post office in Albany. And, 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 you know, explain to them there's a difference between Albany and Albany. It's two different places. And so you drive around there. Now, you're, it's going the long way. Yes, there are shorter ways to get things done. But if you care about relationship, if you care about being with someone and spending time with that person, the shortcut's not always the best way to go. Sometimes... You take the long way around. And one of the things that's happening with the people of God, and it's going to continue to happen, <laughs> is they're going to take the long way around. And sometimes you're going to scratch your head, and sometimes you're going to be frustrated. Isn't it so much quicker if we just go that way? I can see it from here, God. I can see it. No, we're going to go this way. Why? Because on the journey, you get to know each other. On the journey, you get to spend time with each other, and you get to learn each other's voice, and you get to know the heart of one another. And so sometimes God is going to accomplish His purpose, even if it's not the shortcut, but it's the long way around. We see the persistence of God. Now, really probably the thing as we're reading through this is the part that we're going to get to next, and that is the, the puzzle of hardened hearts. The puzzle of hardened hearts. You, you, you came to this text and you kind of read it immediately. It kind of rang in your head. What is the deal with God hardening Pharaoh's heart? Well, that doesn't seem fair. And as we're reading through it, you're like, wait a minute, what is going on here? And initially when we read this, we kind of wonder, and I think that we can say this out loud, we, we, we kind of wonder about the fairness of God. Is it a level, level playing field if Pharaoh is going to be held responsible for the decisions that he makes when the Scripture tells us that God hardened his heart? That, that doesn't quite seem right. That doesn't quite seem fair. What I want you to notice, though, is God describes Pharaoh's heart in several different ways. In fact, let's take a look at the end of chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 34, and then we're going to read to the first verse of chapter 10 and verse 1. It says, But when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among me. So did, did you hear that? At the beginning of that passage, Pharaoh hardened his heart. 
the middle of that passage, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. At the end of that passage, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Which one of those is true? Rose has got it. Spoiler alert. All of them. All of them. Now, I would love to explain to you how all three of those things are true at the same time, but would go right past lunch, and then you would know I was bluffing. I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I have to do. I have to take the words on the page seriously. I have to look at it, and the text tells me, the Word of God tells me, that Pharaoh hardened his heart. So you know what that tells me? Pharaoh hardened his heart. The text tells me that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. You know what that tells me? Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The text tells me that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know what that tells me? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I don't know how all of those things work together. I don't know how all of those things fall into place. But I do think that we can see in the character of Pharaoh where he says no to God, a plague comes, he goes to his house, shuts the door, and says, not my problem. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like a person with a hard heart. But when we see that God says, this is what I want you to do, he says, okay, I'll do it. And then he says, ah, never mind, I won't. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like a person who's hardening his heart. Not only that, Pharaoh has got advisors. Now, we don't see a ton of the advisors in the passage here. But you know that there's got to be people coming up to Pharaoh and say, listen, you can't be soft with these guys. If you're soft with these guys, then everyone's going to just walk all over you. you you've got to be tough. You've got to be strong. And so it's possible that there's some other voices that are speaking into Pharaoh that are hardening his heart. It could be that he looks and says, man, do you know what the economy would happen if we lost all of this free labor? And so his heart is hardened by the circumstances. And then God is going to accomplish his purpose. God is not going to take the shortcut. He's going to take the long way around. He's going to let, make sure that his glory is revealed and his character is revealed. And so it says that God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. Now here's what I know. Because I've been thinking about this. Here's what I know. God will never harden a heart that's soft and tender. Tender. He will never harden a heart that's soft and tender. We, we look at Jesus as walking through this world. And when a child or a Gentile or a leper or a woman in pain comes to him with a soft heart, we never, ever see Jesus put a stiff arm out and say, no. What he does every time as he responds with a soft and tender heart. We're told in one story of a man, young man that had an awful lot of wealth, an awful lot of resources, came to Jesus and says, what does it take for me to be a follower of you? I want to follow you more than anything. And Jesus looked at him and said, listen, do you really want to follow me more than anything? He said, yes. Well, then, then, then sell the everything, all your stuff. Sell it and give it away to the poor. In, in, in that moment, that young man's heart began to harden. And his desire for Jesus got squeezed by the desire for his stuff. And it says he walked away sad because he had lots of stuff. 
but it also tells us that Jesus loved him. You see, Jesus' heart is always tender toward us. And I will tell you that God has never hardened a heart that was soft and tender. Someone who is seeking after him, God has never hardened that heart. God has received that person every and always and all the time. God will never harden a tender heart. You hear me? God will never harden a tender heart. So I don't know what to do with all of this, but I'm telling you, he will never reject you as you come to him with a soft and tender heart. So the prayer that we have for our lives is that our hearts stay soft and tender. Isn't that what we want? Now, what happens what happens is that the more time that we spend in what we call this world, pursuing the things of this world, listening to the voices of this world, choosing the priorities of this world, our hearts become a little bit more hard. The more time that we spend in the presence of God, seeking Him, listening, praying, singing, worshiping in the Word, our heart becomes softer and tender. So we seek to have a soft and tender heart because He will never reject a soft and tender heart. I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise. The puzzle of hardened hearts. There's one other thing that I want you to notice this morning. And that is the peculiar response to conflict. The peculiar response to conflict. Man, this is a showdown. Moses and Pharaoh, two great forces, two great leaders, two great people, this cataclysmic back and forth, back and forth, visit, yes, no, yes, no, plague, all the stuff that happens, it's cataclysmic. I mean, it's so dramatic. They ought to make a movie about it. I mean, it's a big deal. And it's conflict. And it's hard. And it's personal. In, in these chapters, it tells us that Moses is 80 years old. I have a feeling that when Moses turned 81, he didn't invite Pharaoh to the party. I don't think that there was a birthday invitation. Who should we? Oh, you know what? We should invite Pharaoh over. He'd have, he's a blast at a party. We, we, we should have Pharaoh come over. And when Pharaoh found out that Moses was 81, he said, oh, I wonder if he's registered anywhere. We should send a gift. They, they, they don't like each other. There is huge conflict between these two men. But I don't know whether you heard it as we were reading, and it's in here Three different times, Moses prayed for Pharaoh. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Moses pleaded for Pharaoh. Now, I don't think that Moses prayed for Pharaoh like you pray for your grandkids. I don't think it was that soft and tender. 
I don't think it was all that. But listen to me. In the midst of this cataclysmic conflict, which by the end of it, Pharaoh says to Moses, quote, I will kill you. Okay? That's kind of a broken relationship. You know, quote, unquote, I will kill you. Moses prays and pleads for Pharaoh. Now, understand, when we pray, this isn't praying, God, I pray that Pharaoh gets what he deserves. That's not what we're talking about. This isn't even praying, I pray that Pharaoh will stop being such a jerk. This is pleading on behalf of Pharaoh. God, would you rescue Pharaoh from the broken places of his life? Will you rescue him from the most difficult things that he is facing right now? I'm telling you, I don't think Moses smiled when he prayed. I don't think it was the top of his list. I think as he struggles with it, it's like, listen, I'm having a hard time with my prayer life already. I'm supposed to pray for the people that I love, plus him. But Moses prays, and the word here is he pleads on behalf of of Pharaoh. The plagues come to an end when Moses comes before the presence of God and pleads on behalf of Pharaoh, his enemy. Why, why do we do that? Well, one, when we pray for the people that we're in conflict with, it shows we trust God with the issue. Man, I know in our head we know how to solve every conflict we're in. <laughs> Here's the path. These three things need to happen and the whole world's better. There are a lot of people trying their three things and it ain't working. When we pray on behalf of those that we're in conflict, we say, God, I'm going to let you handle this in your way, in your timing. I trust you with it because I know that you can handle this better than I can handle. When we pray for those that we are in conflict with, we make sure that we don't treat people as subhuman or less than a real person. Now listen, I know when I say this that you have some people that you're in conflict with that you kind of wonder if they're subhuman. But they're not. They're broken. You're broken. They have other pieces inside of their life that needs to be rescued as well. And when we pray for those that we have conflict with, we recognize that they are made in the image of God as well and there's more to who they are than just the conflict that they have with you. And then thirdly, when we pray for those that we have conflict with, it keeps my heart from getting hard. Isn't that really the place where our hearts get the hardest? When we walk around angry with people? And that bitterness just cakes around our heart. And then we're angry with two people. Then we're angry with three people. And then we're angry with people we've never even met before. Because we're just growing a hard heart. 
Don't ask me how I know this. I know this because there are days that I wake up and say, why am I angry? Because I've let some conflict harden my heart. And now I'm seeing my whole world through conflict eyes. Moses, in the middle of conflict, prayed for Pharaoh. My challenge to you this morning is there's someone that you're supposed to be praying for. It's pretty simple. This doesn't mean you have to give them a high five. This doesn't mean you have to say, hey, everything you're doing in life is right. That's not it at all. But it says even in the middle of this conflict, I will plead to God on their behalf that he will rescue them in the places where they need to be rescued. And again, it's not God get them. It's God rescue them. God rescue them in the places where they need to be rescued. So what does this mean for our life? Well, I just want to think through three things. One, man, how's, how is your, your listening skills when it comes to the things of God? How persistent has he had to be in your life? Because he's been trying to say something to you and you are still not hearing it. And so there's been chance one and chance two and chance three and he's still talking to you. But it is, is it possible that you've had your fingers in your ears? You've been saying, na, 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 na. You didn't expect that this morning, did you? Na, 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 to God. And say, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. And the persistent God says, no, we're not going to walk away from this until we deal with this. And so if there's a place that he's been speaking, would you listen? Would you listen? Second question I want to ask you is, what's the condition of your heart? Is your heart harder or softer than it was three years ago? Is, is your heart harder or softer than it was six months ago? Is your heart harder or softer than it was last Sunday? What's the trend of that hardness of heart? Let God soften that heart. And then here's the one that you guys know is coming. Who are you supposed to be praying for? Who are you supposed to be praying for? I told the first service this morning, you know, my mind just kind of rolls through stuff. Your mind does the same thing. Don't pretend it doesn't. It just kind of rolls through things like, now how did I end up thinking about that? And I rolled through my mind and I landed someplace and I started thinking about someone that just really annoys me. Drives me crazy. And I realized, Tim, you're, you're preaching this morning that, that you got to pray for the people that you're in conflict with. And so I had to pray for that person this morning. Nobody that you know, don't worry about it. Four people asked me after church this morning if I prayed for them this morning. <laughs> but it's for real. Man, is there someone that you're supposed to pray for? That God will rescue them from the places in their life that they need to be rescued from. 
will soften your heart. Let me pray for you.